All right, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Hopefully you've been able to share your lives with other believers. And now if we'll stand, we're going to worship our risen Lord this morning. Shouting 
can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it God's given you a reason to sing this morning. Say amen. 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 You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. We are grateful you're here. You know, God has given us two things. Well, a lot of things, but there's two things that stood out to me this week that he has given us that perhaps we overlook or take for granted. One is a church. Did you know that church, a local body of believers, was his idea? It wasn't something that somebody thought up one day. We ought to just get together. He compels us to come together. It's a place where you can come and watch this. Run here with your sin. You know what we tend to do? We tend to run away from our sin or hide it. You get to come here and have forgiveness and grace and freedom to live. And also he's given us his word. And that sounds just so refreshing. He's giving us his inspired word that has all things that pertain to life and to godliness. And this morning, that's what uh, we're going to share. So when I um, uh, take the pulpit this morning, I'm going to share with you how we got the Bible. It's the year of the Bible for Cross Point Baptist Church 2020. Many of you, I think, Brad, how many had signed up to date? 40. So 40 people have signed up to say they're reading either through the whole Bible or the New Testament or listening to it like Daryl Beasley. Um, either way, we'll take anything we can get to get you in the word. Why? His word is eternal. It's living. It's alive. And it has all things, again, that pertain to life. So um, this morning, in a very broad stroke, I'm going to share with you how we got the Bible. Not that it was inspired. That's a fixed position, a fixed belief of our church. But how we got the Bible from the time it was penned until now. How can we trust the 66 books that we hold in our hands and our laps today? So, uh, again, it's a lot of history. We're not here for a history lesson. We're here so that you can be introduced and enhance your relationship to God. We're going to accomplish that this morning. We're going to do our best if you'll pick up your spiritual forks, and take a bite of what we're serving this morning, your soul will be fed. So if you're hungry this morning, that should have got your attention right there. At Christmas time, we have different ministries uh, that go on at our church. One of the things that we did this year, we really want to make it an every year ministry, is uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child. It's where uh, Christina was able to present that we... Uh, have these boxes that go around the world, um, and we did that. I don't want to give the numbers. In a moment, I'm going to ask Christina to come up and share the results. So what you have done, those of you that didn't participate or those of you that, that have, uh, you brought these things in you uh, for age-appropriate children, even up to teens. We wrapped those presents, and then they were shipped across the world, over around the world. Christina has an update with like how many we did and where some of those packages went. Why are we sharing this? A package that you, you prepared, you spent money on, 
that you prayed over, most importantly, you get to see where it went. Now your prayer gets to continue. It doesn't just end in, in December. Now the prayer needs to continue. That, that the gift that they got, they received, would be a blessing to their physical need, to their felt need, but also to their soul's need. So I, I'm going to ask Christine if she would at this time come up and share um, where the packages went of Operation Christmas Child uh, the best that she has. Uh, first of all, thank everybody that did participate and get the boxes. I know it was very short notice, um, so hopefully this year will be a little more productive <laughs> in that manner. Um, so just on the first slide, just some updates for those of you that don't know and didn't get the information. Uh, it obviously starts with you packaging those boxes up, buying the supplies that go in them. And then, obviously, I was doing the collection here at our church. And then at the end of the collection time for that week in November, I took the boxes in my car and actually took them to another location down the street, actually, at the Real Life um, Church in Batavia, since they are designated. They've been doing that for years. Um, and then from there, they actually ship them off to one of the warehouses in the United States. And then from there is where they get distributed out to different countries. So that kind of gives you an over. They kind of make their ways quite a bit, get handled and sort it through. So next slide. Uh, this is what we did. The top is the packages that I package myself personally, because um, I do this every year myself. And then I actually had some help with my couple of my puggles on Wednesday night, so they helped me do those. So I kind of broke it down for you guys. Uh, the bottom two, or the bottom one, the package 32, you guys as a church package 32 boxes that were sent out. So with my eight and the 32, we had 40 boxes total from here that went out to different countries. And I, like I said, I broke it down as you can see like I was saying, the 10 to 14 range is always the one that has the least packages. We actually did the most from those group ages. And I didn't split them up for like boys and girls and all that, but um, I had those numbers too. But as you can see, there's all the boxes before they got packaged in my car and shipped away. <laughs> Next slide. So talking with them at the church, they told me that day when I dropped all of our boxes off, since it was technically like the last day, to do it because the next day they were shipping out. They had big 80 boxes packed full of all the shoe boxes that had been dropped off at their location alone. And so they said they packaged in those 80 boxes around 1,100 shoe boxes just at that church location. And as you can see at the bottom, it says around 35,000 boxes in this local area, like Eastgate, Batavia, this whole area. So 35,000 boxes in our area went out to different countries. So there's those boxes in the back seat of my car. <laughs> All right, next slide. So I said there's a warehouse they get shipped to. With, if you can see it, that little blue arrow, there's eight warehouses in the United States. Ours went to um, Boone, North Carolina, after they actually said they were shipped, taking them to Kentucky, and I guess from there, in the airport or whatever, they got shipped to the warehouse in North Carolina. 
And then from there, that's when they go through them and stuff and sort them and figure out where they're going to go from there. And some of the recent years, I've had many places like Chad, Africa, which was a hard-to-reach area, and Rwanda, Colombia, South Sudan, and Dominican Republic. I've had boxes all over that I personally have sent. But the next slide, all the boxes that we sent, including mine, um, all either went to Ecuador in South America, and the other one is what they say, hard to reach areas. I tried to get more specific details because I was able to get mine in the past that they went to Chad, Africa, but these are areas that are really hard to reach either for geographical locations or like religious. So they either have to like sneak them in or put, put them on like camels or canoes or they have to literally walk them all in to the different locations. So. Those specifically, I don't know exactly where they went, but the rest of them all went to Ecuador. So when we do it again this year, I, I'll have back there either the slide or there's a year-round gift idea that you can start collecting things throughout the year if you like. So by October, when it's time to start really packaging them up and getting them all collected before the collection date in November, I'll have these out there. And some of these ideas you can either purchase yourself or those of you that are really crafty can either make some of them, like crocheting or knitting, like hats and scarves and things like that, or you can purchase them as well. And some of the stuff I even got from Amazon, you can get pretty reasonable as well too, but just some other ideas out there. just two thoughts and then we'll open in prayer and that is that let's take those the information that she just shared we'll put in the bulletin we'll have it in the bulletin uh in the next couple weeks and that way we'll be ready to hit the ground running you may want to work on it throughout the year go for it but at least in we'll be ahead of it next year we want to do this every year it's not that hard it's i thought it was an overwhelming task it was something we all can do and have a part and you never know where it goes and the impact that it may have Let's bow and ask the Lord to meet with us this morning. Dear God, thank you for uh, being who you are. We are a, a changing people. We are a fickled people. We, we are a people that are prideful and arrogant at times, and at other times we're lost and confused and drifting like the wind. But you are unchangeable. I pray that you become our God today. You become our our fixed point of life. You want to continue, you want to start and continue to do a work in us that you promised in the believer to never stop uh, forming into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. This is alive and active. So Lord, help us today to bring the right amount of attention to you, to Jesus Christ, to you, Holy Spirit, and let you do what you do. And we be humble, be broken before you. For your people, you be our God. Bless the music today. Bless our singing. We are the, the choir. You are the audience today. May you be well pleased. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand as we continue to worship in song? To God be the glory. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So love he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear Yeah. 
people and God you are our supplier you are a great physician God you are everything Lord we are never in more need of you than we are this moment and every moment to come we are so thankful for your grace Lord you deserve the glory Lord you've given us an everlasting reason to praise and sing you and Lord we anticipate one day before your throne where we will lay down ourselves toss our crowns at your feet because you alone are worthy of the honor the glory and the praise God, we pray that our hearts would be yearning for you this moment, and as your word is open, God, that we would be just listening for you, our Father, to speak to us. God, help Pastor Scott as he brings your word to speak what you would have him to speak. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We are a church that is not lost and drifting today. We are a church that is founded on the principles and the word of, of our God that we hold in our laps. We're not lost and drifting. I don't know why I feel the need to say that this morning, that as a church body, we're not drifting. A lot of churches perhaps have, they, they can't find their identity. They can't find their way. I don't know. They're, they're searching for the next thing to come along to draw more people to, to get them here, to keep them entertained. To get them here is one thing, but to keep them here is another thing, right? 
And I want you to know that at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're, we're not going to the best we can. We're not a perfect people, by the way. We're not even good people. That's why that song, boy, that last song was so special to me. Because we need him. It's more than we desire him. Listen, I'm not a hype man today. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not just a hype man trying to hype you up. We need him in our lives each and every day. And we want to do our best to keep him at the forefront of our teaching, of our ministries, of everything that we do. So uh, we will do our best. We are not a church that is lost or drifting or lost our way. We want to be a church that holds up God, that, that says, here is God and you need him. Run to him. We will help you run to him. We'll run in that direction together. Why do we do that? Because there's no other hope in this world apart from Jesus Christ. You got nothing. You got nothing. And I, that's bad English on purpose, Karen Stanhope. They got nothing. In this world, it can be very confusing. It can, there's a lot going on out there. Maureen asked me, you know, we were talking about this this morning, how people ask, why are there so many churches? Why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many? And listen, you're only looking at it in a snapshot of 2020. I'm not talking about even going back 50 years, but go back thousands of years. Man, this thing is all over the map. When people thought they were gaining their way to God, I'm talking about little G. They thought they were pursuing the big G God. They were really pursuing the little G God. You know what I mean by that? The big G God, when God is word, his name is mentioned in the Bible as God, there's a capital G emphasizing that he is the great I am. There's only one God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's the big G. But the little g God is all the other gods that people have placed in their life or the ways they try to pursue what they think is God, but they're, they're not quite sure. And sometimes it's man-made things. Sometimes it's other religions. And you go back over the history of time and you see it. And listen, it was a free-for-all for people trying to find God, big G and little g included. Did you catch that? It was a free-for-all. So... I've given myself a task this week that was quite overwhelming as I started to put it on paper. Last week, we talked about the Word of God and the sufficiency of the Word of God, how that it was inspired. And at our church, that is a, in part of our Articles of Faith. It, we have 23 Articles of Faith. That is one of the things about God's Word that we fully embrace. And when I get done with this sentence, be ready to say amen, okay? Because if you don't, I'm going to get all mad. This uh, fixed position that God's word is inspired, that he carried these writers along to, to take his proclaimed word and write it down. And we believe it as a fixed position as God's word. Amen. That is what we stand on. That we stand on that. And I've given myself, so th th knowing that, as a church body, I want to take you to the next area this morning of what we hold in our laps, how we can trust this as the word of God. OK, so from the last time that one of the letters was written in the New Testament, about 95, 90, 95 A.D., about uh, until today, all 2000 plus years. If you have a Bible in your hand, I wish you would just take it for a minute. You don't have to hold it up. Just kind of feel it and all that. If you have it on your phone, that's okay. Look at it for a minute, for a moment. 
How can you trust these 66 books, what we're calling the Word of God? How can we trust this? That's the question that I want us to examine this morning. And it's an overwhelming task for me because as I started gathering uh, uh, facts, I started looking at Scripture, I found more history than Scripture on determining what is the Word of God. And so as I started looking at all these things, I realized that this morning I was going to have to take an extremely broad stroke at a bibliology of, of how we got the Bible. How did we get this here Bible? I said here on purpose too, because I'm from Claremont County. You're not, we're not here for a history lesson though. But you know what I found? I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised as I started to formulate today's message that Scripture, it always and always has and always will come back to the Scripture. What does God say about God's Word? So I want to, uh, I'm excited today. Um, this is something that you will be asked if you haven't been asked yet. It's something that you've wondered about and maybe asked somebody else and didn't get a good answer, or it's something that you've wondered about and just gave up on it, and, well, just because that's what the preacher says. In this overview, we, we love this book, but if we don't understand how we got it, it's going to leave you with questions, and sometimes questions can lead to doubts. The Bible, this here, Bible, 66 books, and the manuscripts, I would even say, they invite you to examine them. They invite you. You know what I love about the Bible? God doesn't have to set things up. He just says, he just, he, he just says truth and you got to deal with it. That's what I love about it. God doesn't take his word and go, okay, now here's what I'm getting ready to do. And this is what it means. Okay, I'm going to set you up. God doesn't do any setup. See, he's the big G, God. He has claims of truth that are just there in the word of God that we get to examine and see if these things be so. In Acts, we saw that in out of the Bereans. The goal today is not to leave you with more questions and answers. Hopefully you will have questions. Bring them on. Not because I'm ready for a debate. That, that's not the point. In fact, if you want to argue, go somewhere else. I don't want to argue. But I do want to be inquisitive about the things of God, the Word of God. But I don't want to leave you today with doubt. I don't want your questions to turn into doubt. So I encourage you, if you have questions, please ask. As stated in our Articles of Faith, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture. The Holy Spirit carried these men along as they first spoke the Word, and then they wrote what we know, know now as the Word of God. I was sharing this with Brian Reynolds some time back. We talk about the Bible. Many of you may not know this, and it may rattle you just a little bit. It, it rattled Brian just a little bit when he, uh, we was talking about the, the Bible, and, and um, we have these 66 books, and that there are actually other letters written by the authors of the Bible. How come those aren't in? That didn't rattle him so much. But what, what, what can be unnerving is when you find out that going back to the Old Testament, there was a time when God's word was only passed down word of mouth. 
Ooh, doesn't that get a little scary? Word of mouth. You ever played the game telephone? Maybe as a kid, where you start with one sentence, you get down the line, passing it from ear to ear, and it ends up being something totally crazy. If God inspired his word, surely he can preserve his word. Amen? Oh, he can, he's got this. But, uh, in fact, Carl Kirby, in Reasons for Hope, he shares that the proclaimed word, the spoken word that was shared from person to person, was only about five generations long before it was penned. But don't forget, their generations were a little bit longer than ours today. Well, except for Jules. But uh, if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 is Peter finally got it together. The word of God and the spirit of God collided in Peter's life. It brought him to maturity. Oh, isn't that great? The word of God and the spirit of God collided in Peter's life. I just made that up. And when it happened, not only was Peter transformed, the word of God and the spirit of God never gave up on Peter. Peter gave up on God. Peter gave up on Christ. He denied him. But the word of God and the spirit of God never gave up on him. And we see him come to maturity now as he's writing 1 Peter and then his second letter, 2 Peter. And if you look in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 16, the point that we want to see here is that the Holy Spirit, men, this is not a man-made religion. The Holy Spirit carried these men along as they first spoke and then wrote what we know as the Word of God. Peter references that right here. Verse 16 says, For we did not know cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What, I'm going to pause right there because Peter, what Peter's saying is there was a lot of noise going on about Jesus, about God, about world religion. People were coming from around the world to go to Jerusalem to find a God, the God. This is where you can have your sins forgiven. Okay? There was a lot of noise going around. One uh, uh, of my commentators said it was a free-for-all of speakers and writers. There was so much out there claiming to be of God, from God, through them. Many, many. It, it, it was, it was we, we don't know the number, but it was an overwhelming number, most likely. What does Peter say here? He says, we did not follow what the noise. We didn't follow people when we made known to you the power in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. Okay? Now, God is establishing something here. God is getting his word on parchment, on paper, for the purpose of preserving it so that it can carry forward. This is a special time, and he uses Peter. Peter's an eyewitness. Now, you may think, well, that's good, but what about me? How's this work for me? I'm in 2020, and I don't have the ability to have the eyewitness. Well, Jesus told us when he walked this earth, blessed, blessed are you for you got to see, but blessed are those. Blessed are those who's going to believe without seeing. Yeah. By the way, John, uh, Jesus said in John 17, in what we know is the Lord's prayer, that there will be those who believe because of the word. Is that you today? That's me today. Because of his implanted word that was able to save our souls. 
man, I'm getting kind of keyed up here. But when we look at the verse 17, it says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my son in whom I am well, believe, uh, well pleased. You know what Peter's referencing here? He just said, I was an eyewitness. What Peter is referencing, I just read this last week in my reading through the Bible in a year. I'm a little bit ahead. The Mount of Transfiguration. What happened? Something special happened. Peter and a couple other guys were there. Only a couple eyewitnesses got to see this. Moses and Elijah, a supernatural thing had happened. And Peter wanted to build three tabernacles. He's like, let's, let's make this a special moment. God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, perhaps Peter didn't fully understand what was going on. When supernatural things, you don't fully understand what's going on. But look at, years later, when he's writing this, he remembers that moment. We're forgetful people, amen? We're forgetful people. We forget how good God was yesterday. We forget how his grace, his, 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 his benevolence, toward, how he's so, so patient with us. We forget that. We are forgetful people just by nature. Not, not that spiritually speaking. I was on my way here. I pick up Mary and Marta most Sunday mornings. I got, just went right past the road, just on my way to church. Had to do a U-turn, come around, come back. Yeah, flat forgot. We are forgetful people on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's a shame when we forget the goodness of God. Why? He doesn't owe you a thing. He doesn't owe me anything. It's only by his grace and his goodness that we're able to draw our next breath. But Peter says... That he heard from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter is in, has uh, authority. He's speaking from a point of not just this is a good idea. He's speaking from a point of reference of this is what happened. I was there. I was there. And he goes on in verse 18. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain, referring back to Mount Transfiguration, verse 19. It says, and, we, uh, and, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Let me pause right there for a moment. How many of you know that in the Old Testament, the, word was, the prophetic word was about the Messiah, about the Messiah. The Old Testament is pointing to the cross. It's pointing to uh, mainly the three years of public ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, his birth too, absolutely, we'll go 33 years there. The Old Testament is pointing to him. It's pointing to the sacrifice. It's pointing, it's pointing, it's constantly pointing. Uh, I, I, hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled when Christ came to this earth. When he died on the cross, when he rose again and ascended into heaven. And so we have the prophetic word. Look at that. Confirmed. It's confirmed. The prophetic, everything about the Old Testament has been done, sealed, dealed. It's confirmed. No longer to guess or to have to wonder. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in dark places. Listen, we know enough about God and what he's done in the past to know that we can trust him with the future. He, I, I can in my life. I know that he has never bailed on me. I know that I bailed on him, but he's never bailed on me. I can say for our church, he's never left our church. We may leave him. We may try to leave him, but he's never left our church. 
that we take heed as a light that shines in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I promise I'm trying to get to verse 20. That's all I'm, that's all I'm after. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. This isn't Peter saying, this is a good idea. I was smoking a pipe under a tree by the lake one day, and this is some good thoughts that come to me. It's not what he's saying. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my commentary. It's not private interpretation. Verse 21, for the prophecy never came by the will of man. It's not the man's desire. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, one last statement, and then we're going to get to how we got the Bible. It's this, that he allowed the writers still to use their grammar, their personalities, their, their, their makeup, their culture. He, in the writings, you can see it in the writings, but yet the Holy Spirit moved, carried them along to write down the words that we have today that's been inspired by the Lord. This morning, we won't cover all that again. We've already made it. It's a fixed belief of this church. After the inspiration of Scripture comes a time frame of believers and unbelievers alike writing letters and claiming... <clears throat> to be a, a special revelation. So when, when God carried these men along and said, these, this is my word, bam, here it is. Other men came along writing, and they're writing letters, and they're preaching, and they're, and, and they're stealing people from, from, from the genuine faith. And it went on for hundreds of years, and they were being scattered. They were, they had, they, they were claiming to have special revelation equal to the word of God, equal to the inspiration of God's word. So how do we know what we hold in our hands today is the 66 books of the Bible is legitimate. How do we know that these are the 66? Three ways. There's three ways I want you to consider today. They all start with the letter C. The first is they were composed. These letters, these writings were composed. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.16. Again, we won't spend a lot of time on this. We've already got it covered. I want to get to the next C. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is an Awana verse, I think. Uh, one of the first Awana verses that they memorize. And it talks about Scripture, the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. Now, I, there's a sermon right there in that one verse. But the, 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 the takeaway from that is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Say inspiration. God carried these men along. He moved them along. Over 40 authors, over 1,500 years, over a range of geographical locations as well. So we see, how do we know that this book in our hand is legit? First, it was composed. These other letters or writings, they became accepted as well. Historical writings and even the gospel according to Thomas. There was a lot of, of other writings that was going out there and people were having to go, wait, what's, what's right and what's right? The, the gospel of Thomas, by the way, is a terrible 
It, it is not inspired by God at all. But yet he was from the time period. In fact, this one had it was very close proximity to when Christ was on the earth. But it is not at all even close to being copacetic with the Gospels, with any other portion of Scripture. I could tell you what, how false and how wrong it is, but why? I, we're not here today to share what isn't true. Let's share what is. These, it was a free-for-all of information, and it, they were coming in the name of God. They were coming in the name of Christian even. By the way, don't forget this. The, 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 this time frame, uh, what was it? Um, a solid hundred years, if not a little longer, after Christ was here, there was extreme persecution for the Christians. Extreme. You could, if you were found with a, a, a pocket scroll, if you were found holding a copy of, the, uh, of what we know as Scripture, you could be martyred where... Uh, we talk about this on Wednesday, Sunday night, tonight, Faithful Life. Um, when we're going through the book of Acts, Paul went around, had, had the green light to kill and persecute those that were believers. He caused havoc is the word that uh, Acts has in there. So in other words, if Paul were here today in that time frame and you were here today, he had the ability to come in here with his armed guards and and, and do spiritual terrorism right here in this room legally. It was, it, was, it was under extreme oppression. And in the midst of all that oppression, they're having to figure out, wait, what, what, is, what is the Bible and what is not? What is from God, what is not? This guy's a false, this guy's a false teacher. This guy's saying that one's a false teacher. This one's saying that is. Could you imagine how confusing of a time? We think we live in a confusing time right now. It was chaos. It was chaos. And in the middle of all that chaos, God's word was shining. God's spirit was moving. In the middle of all that noise. Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? Oh, isn't that great? Isn't that great that God didn't go, here's my word. That's a mess. That's a hot mess. I'm out. His word was still shining. In the middle of all that confusion. Dangerous time. God could inspire his word, but can he preserve it? There were many deceivers. So the first is this. How do we know these 66 books are legitimate? One, they were composed. We've already covered that. Here's the next C. They were circulated. I'm going to put circulated backslash they were copied and collected that's all under the one word there under circulated they were circulated copied and collected now this is an interesting where i'm going to take you now in scripture go to galatians 1 galatians chapter 1 verse 1 i'm going to take you to something here that is used to be a joke in bible college what did god inspire and some would say genesis to revelation plus the concordance and the index right that was a little joke they would always kind of throw out there. I'm going to show you something interesting about this letter that perhaps gets overlooked. It may not be in your Bible. Odds are it is, or uh, I don't know if it's in your electronic version, but it is actually in the title of this letter. The title in my Bible says the epistle of Paul, the apostle to 
the Galatians. Okay? This is one example where God inspired the title. It's the letter he, he's addressing that this is who it's to. And, and, and what I mean by that is the, the, it says to the Galatians in the, the Greek, the, the pro-Galatus, which, which is the name Galatians was given to these Celtic people because they originally lived in a different place called Gaul before they migrated to Asia Minor. Why do I bring that out? The point is, this letter, the scripture was circulated. It wasn't given to one church. It was an area of believers. Listen, they didn't have the phone. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the telegraph. They, they, didn't, they had to hand write. Hand, so not only did they get this letter from Paul, amongst all the other stuff, they get this letter from Paul. The underground church perhaps got this letter from Paul. And they would copy it, circulate, copy, and they would share it to each other. And then they would collect them in makeshift libraries. How do we know these 66 books? They were composed. They were circulated. They were confirmed. Now, this is the history part. That um, I do not, my goal is not to, uh, you're not here to learn history, but you have to, if you want to understand how we got this book, you're going to have to do a little bit of history here to understand. Many people will say they believe, many believers will say they believe the word of God, but yet they've never read it. How can you believe what you haven't read? Well, what about John 3, 16? That's all I need. I once was blind and now I see. That works for salvation. Absolutely works for salvation. But in the growth and what God wants to do in your life, that would be equivalent to me telling my wife I love her on marriage day and never tell her again. By the way, I'm a little convicted. I got accused last night by my daughter and my wife of telling them that I love the dog. I love my dog more than I love them. I literally say it out loud to my dog. I love you more than I say it to my wife and daughter. They pointed it out just last night. So before I went to bed, I said, I love you guys. <laughs> the word was confirmed. It was very common for early church leaders and scholars to meet and study, compare and discuss the things of God. Now I'm talking about for a couple hundred years now. Christ has left this earth. Okay, we have his word, we have his spirit. A lot of noise going on. But for a couple hundred years, men would meet, councils would meet. This was very, very common. Don't think it was an isolated thing. And we still do it today. We have Together for the Gospel Conference. We have conferences all over where they get together and talk and discuss certain things of God. There were many, many councils. The two most notable councils, again, there were many, is the Council of Carthage and the Council of Nicaea. Perhaps you've heard of those two. Maybe you haven't at all. But I want to key in on one, the Council of Carthage. In fact, you can write that down. I would encourage you to look into this a little bit on your own. Uh, the, one of my favorite Bible apps is Got Questions is the name of the app. It's a, it answers Bible questions and Bible topics. 
uh, Christian topics. They have the best condensed version of the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. Now, that was several years ago. Again, if you want the details of it, you can go to the app, Got Questions, or you can ask Jewel. He was probably there. And uh, they, at that council, discussed what were the accepted books. Now, watch. I want, I want you to get lost here. I'm going to do my best to keep you engaged because this is the last C that I want you to consider confirmed. The word was confirmed. You may think, well, who are these guys? Who are these guys? By the way, Carthage is in northern Africa, is the place where they had met. And there's a lot, very lot of, a lot of uh, biblical significance and history happened in the continent of Africa. Well, here is one, the Council of Carthage 397. They accepted the 39 books as Old Testament and the 27 books of the, new, of the new and letters. And, now watch this, they accepted or at least recognized also the Apocrypha. What is the Apocrypha? Well, it's a collection of books that were considered to be um, uh, valid but not inspired by God. Other religions would say it is inspired by God. This council in 397 said it's not inspired by God. Key line. The early church did not determine, but they discovered which books were inspired. There's a difference. They didn't determine what was inspired. They got to discover what was inspired. Why? Because God decides and determines what his inspired word is. When he spoke it, that was it. That was it. It was done. You got to deal with it. You gotta, you, you're the one that's, that, that's dealing with, is this the word of God? Or not. Well, they used the criteria. This is very noteworthy. I'm going to highlight four areas of criteria they used to determine if these manuscripts, if these writings are indeed the Word of God. Here's the first one. Here's the criteria. What did Jesus say about this book? We know that Jesus um, quoted from the Old Testament a lot. In fact, I um, uh, didn't cross-reference this. I'm almost certain that the Old Testament book he quoted from the most was Deuteronomy, of all books. He quoted uh, the Old Testament quite a lot. Number two, Jesus did, what did Jesus say about this book? He affirmed the books. How do we know he affirmed the books? Because he taught from the Old Testament, the 39 books, every Saturday in the synagogues. He taught. He wouldn't teach what wasn't true. Amen. So they saw that, and that's the criteria. What does Jesus say about the Old Testament and uh, uh, the book? He, uh, and he referenced it quite often. Here's the second criteria. Was this book written by an apostle or a prophet or closely related to? One of the reasons why Jesus performed miracles was to confirm his word. He said that. He said that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he would do a miracle to confirm his word. If a deceiver can come and perform, even be possessed perhaps by evil, by, by a demon, and perform a miracle, you know what the people would do? Believe their words. I've seen this just recently. A couple years ago, History Channel, something like that. 
they went to a remote country and the medicine man was there and he had this ball and he would do a chant and a ball would start rolling and the people were amazed. They were blown away, amazed. This witch doctor is these powers. He has all this ability. They had a camera with them and they showed the people. They opened that ball and there was a mouse in there. It was a mouse. They were believing that he really had this power. They were believing in the power or in the person. Okay? So if people, maybe demon-possessed or maybe just influenced heavily that, uh, to be able to do things, that people were more impressed by the things than the words. The, the things validated the words. Jesus did it for what was right, good. And you think, well, does that really happen? It happened to Moses. Remember when he's before Pharaoh? All the things that he did and the magicians were able to do. By the way, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but you all watched the Carbonaro effect? You ever watch that show? Isn't that, isn't that hilarious how people fall for some of the dumbest things? We, you watch these and you go, of course, we're on our couches and we're going, look at this idiot. Why would they fall for that? Right? Dollar to a donut, we do the same thing. But in the spiritual world, Jesus is performing miracles to confirm his word. In this, this world, these guys were, if they were able to do things supernatural, people are going to believe in the word that they're speaking. So that's the, the, the need to validate the writing was who is it by? Was it by an apostle or a prophet or somebody very closely related? The writers of the Bible were believers inspired by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, a believer cannot be possessed. That's another message for another time. Turn with me to John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. This is the verse about... Lost my coolness over when I was thinking about it earlier in, in John 17, verse 20, in the Lord's Prayer. What Jesus says to validate this very point. Jesus is praying. The Garden of Gethsemane. It's intense. And who's he praying for? He prays for his disciples. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for you in 2020. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, not just for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They will believe. He's praying for you. You know what we see in John 17, 20? People will believe through the message of the apostles. The apostles wrote these things down. Jesus just validated that. We need to understand what is God's word. On the screen, I'll have them put 2 Peter 1, 16. Now, we already read it, but let's look at it up here together. Eyewitness makes the message credible. 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here's the third criteria. Is this book consistent with other scripture? That's what happened to the book of Thomas. It didn't take long to hold this one up and go, no good. It's not even close. It wasn't consistent. So, the criteria, what did Jesus say about the book? Was the book written by an apostle or a prophet or somebody closely related? Number three, is this book consistent with other scripture? Number four, was the book accepted by the early church as authoritative or inspired? 
Again, this council had the joy of, of discovering and, conf and, and, and confirming the inspired word of God. Could, I think we got it wrong. I think we picture a bunch of people around a table and, and they're debating and, they're, and this is and this isn't and, that, and, and they're getting all red faced. I think there may be more joy there than, than, than anger. I think there's an intensity, don't get me wrong, but the joy of going, this one is the word of God. This one is, that one's not. I don't think they were red-faced and mad. I think there was a, they got to discover it of all the noise. Here it is. Here it is. We got it. The key verse for their standard is one simple verse out of one simple little book. I call it a postcard epistle. It's tucked away. It's so small, it don't even have chapters. It just got one. And it's Jude chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to have them put that on the screen. Jude 1 and verse 3. Look what it says. Jude is writing. Jesus' half-brother, by the way. It says, there's somebody who was closely related. Amen. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. When he says common salvation, he's not talking about, yeah, you know, the salvation thing. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the true the thing we have together is true salvation. That's what he's referring to. Concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, now watch this, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Amen. Once for all, it was once and for all delivered to the saints. They penned it down. We got it. There's not more to come. Once. For all. How many of you know that Christ, when he died, he said it is finished? That means it was once for all. Once and for all. No more resurrection. No more death. No more burial. No more word to come. We got all that we need. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Read his word. You're going to see all that we can discover about him is right here in his word. That's not to say that he doesn't illuminate. The, script, the, the Holy Spirit definitely illuminates Scripture. It helps, helps us with our understanding. But there's no more special revelation. There's no revelation that's going to come outside of his word. You have it all right here. This, listen, this is where it gets, it gets, some churches get really, they get wonky. You can't have it both ways. You can't say this is the word of God, and yet, but God spoke to me today. God spoke to me today and not matching up with his word is a major, major problem. Major problem. The Bible teacher, the preacher needs to approach the sh and share the word like a surgeon with a scalpel. Not like a janitor with a mop bucket. By the way, I've never been a surgeon, but I have been a janitor. One of my favorite jobs, believe it or not. I love that job. I don't know why. I love it. Well, I don't do it every day still. And as a practice, I love it that much. But I'm just saying, of all the jobs I've ever had. But you know, when, when I was cleaning up or having to mop up, I did a lot of mopping. You know, you can kind of get close enough when you're mopping. Because you, it's just, you know, you, you do the bucket thing, you rinse it out, you mop. Smells good. Oh, man, it just looks good. But it, but it may not be quite perfect, but it's good enough. But a surgeon... You never want a surgeon to be good enough. You seen the, the commercials lately? Yeah, good enough. Yeah, we'll figure it out when we get in there. Right? That's not the surgeon you want. You don't want a Bible teacher that way either. 
The Bible tells us in the book of James, some of you should not be teaching. Why? This is way too important to be playing around with, to be saying close enough. You got to do the work. You got to do the study. You got to learn. You got to grow. Then you share. It's, it's no shame in not knowing everything, but it is a shame in teaching something that is falsehood. And if I ever do, if you ever do, you better recognize it, uh, uh, make it public and correct it. Why? Because it's people's lives. It's eternity. It's your soul. Ah, good enough. Well, they've been arguing over that stuff for years in churches. They'll never figure it out. When we open up the Bible, what would man give in exchange for his soul? Is how Jesus phrased What would you give in exchange for your soul? All your money, all your stuff, all your life? What would you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus is putting a point out there that your soul is valuable. So when we approach the word of God, again, we're learning as teachers, we're growing. We never arrive, but we can't be sloppy like a mop bucket with the word of God. We need to be like a surgeon with the word of God. Yeah. Proverbs 35 and 6 is a reference, but I, I, I do need to share a word with you. I'll briefly touch it, and then I want to show you a, uh, the, the video that we saw last week, a three-minute video. I want to enter in a word that was used here in the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. The word is canon. That's a Greek word. And that word means a standard or a measuring. It is an absolute. Okay? Did this scripture meet the canon and the criteria? I just gave you four of the high points of the criteria they used. And we believe in a closed canon today. It implies that there are no apostles or prophets today who are receiving new messages from God. By the way, there are many on TBN that claim such things. The church councils of the 4th century verified and made official what the church has universally already affirmed. That these 66 books in our Bible are the true scripture inspired by God. The canon is complete. By comparing scripture with scripture... Since God can inspire his word, surely he can preserve it. Now listen, the Bible invites you to examine these 66 books as, it, as they've done for a century. And if you want to get real technical, you want to really get into it, if you doubt the 66 English translated, and there's several good translations out there now, go ahead and start dabbling in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all these other languages as well. If you really want to get to it, when you see how many manuscripts and copies of manuscripts that there are pertaining to the Word of God. The Bible invites you to examine it. Trust me, he can handle it. I'm going to show this video. I shared it last week. It's a reminder of how we got the Bible and how we can trust these 66 books that we hold in our hand. Around the year AD 100, and the earliest copy we have for that comes from about 750 years. 
text from when it was written and our earliest copy. How many copies do we have? Just two. So let's put two beans in this cup to represent those manuscripts. For Plato's dialogue, there's a 1,200 year gap and we have just seven copies. For the histories by Herodotus, there's a 1,300 year gap with just nine copies. And we have 10 copies of Caesar's Gallic Wars after a 900 year gap. Now, very few people question whether we have the original message of these writings, yet they constantly attack the Bible on this point. And yet the manuscript evidence that we have for these is so minimal, and the gap between when they were written and when their earliest copies come from is enormous. So what about the New Testament? Well, it was written in the first century AD, and the earliest manuscript evidence we have for it comes within 50 years of that time. Now, how many copies do we have? Well, there are nearly 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, and they average about 450 pages each. Looks like I should have used a bigger cup. But you know what? That's just the Greek manuscripts. When we count the other languages, like Latin, Coptic, and Armenian, there's another 20,000 manuscripts. You will ask, why did you show that again? Well, there's two reasons. One, you may not have been here last week. Two, is it's a reminder. We just talked about how we're forgetful people. It's a reminder that all these thousands of manuscripts have been compared and compared and compared and compared. And there's minute, minute. And this crosses centuries of time. It crosses continents. And it crosses language. God has preserved his word. Amen. I hope you're as excited as I am today. I am more confident today than ever before on the validity of God's word. God knew what he was doing. We forget that, don't we? He has given us his word. A closed canon does not mean that he has ceased to reveal himself to God's people. He does reveal himself through his word, and through his spirit. And they never contradict what is written down in his inspired word. Everything we need to know about life, 
about salvation and about our Savior can be found in Scripture. I hope you know Him. He, this Bible is offered to you as a love letter and as a life letter. Do you know Him today? Let's bow our heads for a moment. I ask Andrew to come. Give us a time where we can reflect, pray, dedicate what we learn, what we know, what we forgot, what we left. And we can convert it into a prayer right here. We have a time of imitation. We can come and pray privately or corporately. Tap me on the shoulder. I will even pray with you. But this is the Lord's work now. This is way beyond me. It's way beyond earth. This is God working in your heart. Lord, I, again, we pray that you have been honored and that you just move. Just, just move in the midst, within the boundaries of your word. But, Lord, we never tell you what to do. You be God and we'll be your people. Move in people's hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as Andrew leads us in his song, The Altar is Open, for you to come and pray, dedicate, or discuss. Won't you come? You, oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you Lord, I 
my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Their places will receive the offering this morning. And while they're coming, I want to uh, show you a uh, uh, Keith Starks has new granddaughter. Her name is uh, River May Burton, and there she is. So another cutie. So uh, congratulate Keith and and Dow. And so um, don't don't forget about this message that went forth this morning. Apply it to your own heart as God has moved us. That uh, His word is sure and and steadfast, and we can trust that. Uh, as Pastor Scott clearly demonstrated this morning. So with that, let's pray, ask the Lord to uh, bless the offering this morning. Father, we thank you for this day and, and the blessing of your word, the confidence that we can have in it because of uh, your surety that you preserve it. Lord, we just pray that you would just be with us now as we uh, receive the offering. May you use it to, to uh, further the gospel uh, message through Cross Point Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you. We ask that you bless each gift and giver. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, as we are dismissed this morning, three things to mention. First is that we will have Awana Bible Quiz practice for the first time as we prepare for our competition in February. Our Bible Quiz practice will be at 5.30 over in the Bible Quest room. If you have boys or girls that are interested in being a part of that Bible Quiz team, part of the TNT Clubs, be sure to see me if you have any questions, but hopefully they have their study guides. They'll be ready to go over in the Bible Quest room at 5.30 today. And leaders who are WANA leaders, uh, if you're interested and able to help us, we would certainly uh, welcome that, that help. So again, if you have questions, be sure to, to ask out at the lobby. Second announcement is that we'll have our LifePoint Bible Study groups tonight at 6.30, so be here for that. Bible Quest will also begin, uh, there, or actually continue uh, their study of the super book, which is the Bible. And then our third announcement is that we have family nights on Wednesday at 630. With that, you are dismissed. <laughs>